the Wolverine intro and just, you know, hit like that, that low shot of him in the cage puffing on a cigar and you can't see his face. Like it, it's, it's just the stuff of dreams and nightmares. And just, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think that that, that moment where the claws come out for the very first time, you know, I was, I was nine about to turn 10 years old. I was a week from turning 10 when that movie came out. And it just, it blew my little mind. And there was always something about the first few minutes of it that was like, wait, what was that? Mo-? Like, can we, can we just stay there? Like, I don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't even need the other stuff. Just in this 17 minutes where it feels so real. And yeah. so Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode number 24 of The Fourth Wall. I'm, of course, your host, Griffin Schiller, and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from writers, directors, actors, you name it. This show is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can find the rest of our amazing film-centric catalog. We're talking shows like The Discourse, Be Real, and so much more. Whatever your fix is, we got you covered over there. Today's guest is someone you may not have heard of, but you're definitely going to want to keep an eye on because he has got some incredible projects in the pipeline, and he is the writer of Netflix's new film, Project Power, which stars Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm talking about Matson Tomlin. For a screenwriter to be featured on the coveted annual Blacklist is a tremendous accomplishment and has jump started the career of many of the industry's hottest writers. If you're Matson Tomlin, however, you've not only been featured on that list, you've been featured on it six times in the past four years. And you've done all of that before the age of 30. Like the most accomplished athletes, Tomlin regularly exercises his creative muscles, averaging anywhere from 8 to 12 scripts a year, which is mind-blowingly impressive. And while the writer himself acknowledges many of those scripts aren't necessarily pitch-worthy, they have led to the creation of projects such as Netflix's latest film, Project Power. For those of you who may not know, Project Power is set against the backdrop of New Orleans and is an original superhero story that centers around the use of a pill that gives their user unpredictable abilities for five minutes. The story follows a teenage dealer played by Dominique Fishback, a local cop played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and an ex-soldier played by Jamie Foxx as they try to take down the organization responsible for creating the drug and releasing it onto the streets. With Project Power, Tomlin confidently establishes himself as a writer who's a true fan of comic books, graphic novels, and all the titans of pop culture many of us grew up obsessing over. And he even told me during this conversation that he considered turning Project Power, which was originally titled Power, into a graphic novel had it not gotten picked up by Netflix. And perhaps that's precisely why this film is the perfect precursor to the slew of high-profile projects Tomlin is attached to, namely Matt Reeves' The Batman and the upcoming Mega Man movie. And while Tomlin, you know, might be attached to some of the hottest upcoming blockbusters, he still remains accessible and active on social media and especially Reddit, eager and willing to pay his good fortune forward. He understands all too well the struggle of being an aspiring screenwriter, and we talk about that. And I I think one of the best parts about this conversation is that he wants to give real, honest, and useful advice. No bullshit here. He wants to lay it all out there and help the next generation of writers carve out their own path for becoming professional screenwriters. We also discuss the responsibility on screenwriters to be honest in their depiction of films in the cop genre in the year 2020, the upcoming Mega Man movie. Of course, we got some really great tidbits in there that uh, if you're a fan of that property or you're interested in the project, you're definitely going to want to listen to. Uh, We talk about the greatness of Batman the Animated Series. That was uh, a really fun part of the conversation we were just gushing about it and in all its glory talk about the batman just a little bit he can't reveal too much but it's it's nice to see that you know the batman is going to go well for him and he seems very eager to talk about it even though he can't uh we discuss how brian singer's x-men actually influenced project power and why david fincher's zodiac is one of the greatest films 
of the 2010s. All that and much more coming your way shortly. This was a phenomenal conversation. Uh, seriously, Tomlin is someone who you, you are going to want to keep an eye on. He's he's a guy who's just, in, in the next couple of years, he's going to break through, skyrocket, going to be hugely in demand. He's already got major projects in the works, both original and adaptations. And so, I mean, I, I think we'll, we'll see much of him in the near future. So it was really great to talk to him now uh, and, and kind of, you know, get a feel for how he's sort of taking all of this. But uh, enough chit chat, guys. Let's just let's get into this thing. Here is my conversation with screenwriter Matson Tomlin. Well, first of all, how how's it uh, how's it going for you? How's this whole sort of like uh, pandemic thing been been for you personally? It's funny when when it started, it was like, wait a minute, stay at home, don't see anybody, just like be here and work this is like writer olympics like yeah totally yeah. fine like totally good with it and for the first like two months three months how how long have we been doing this for for the first three months or so it was kind of like um totally productive like feeling really good like trying to ignore the outside world and then there there came this point where it was like wow i'm working so much i think that this is now turned into like a coping mechanism no yeah. longer is it like oh I'm, I'm super productive and loving life instead it's like oh everything is awful and this is all I have left yeah <laughs> well that's that's the thing and I, I've been really curious about this whole process like how many stories um I mean you have to imagine that everything that's being written right now or most things that are being written right now are taking into account like what's going on um and the big thing for me is just trying to figure out like how many people are going to take it literally or how many people are going to take like the feeling of what's going on right now and try and encapsulate that into like a script or something. I'm in heated discussions with my friend group about like, you know, do, do we lean into it or do we lean away from it? And I, there, there's obviously those two teams and I kind of come out somewhere in the middle where on the one hand, I think that you, you have to lean into it because it's, it's, what is happening in the world and so you sure. have to acknowledge that but at the same time how you acknowledge it and how you lean into it you know i think that we're going to see this huge you know upswing of fantasy i think we're going to oh, see okay. a huge yeah. upswing of like adult animation and like space and i think that all of those things are going to somehow touch on plagues and pandemics and like scary things you know but at the same time I, I think that people are really going to want fun. I yeah. Think that, I think that there's going to be this just like huge demand for like, oh, take me away. I like. I think Amazon's going to now, they were already going to, but I think fully kill it with this Lord of the Rings show. I think like yeah, right that's... now I'm like Middle Earth, I'm going. Yeah, no, for Well, hey, but part of me wonders is like how much of that can they shoot, you know? Be, I mean, obviously I guess some... Uh, productions well, yeah i guess <laughs> i guess that's true if it's like taking place in like other countries but no you're right i think that that's true fantasy um and especially something like lord of the rings where it's like it allows people an escape um you know maybe they can throw in some themes in there about what's going on but it's largely like you know its own other thing yeah that's a, that's a great point that i didn't even think about the fantasy aspect but um it's coming There's it's coming <laughs> yeah well and you mentioned uh, uh adult animation because i was i was scrolling through um like some of the screenwriter reddit threads and i actually saw that you popped up on there a lot and you're, you're very eager to give advice to yeah young screenwriters well but no but i think it's so cool because i i i don't know i at least for me it says a lot about you and it's like you know even though you're writing the batman you've got this like amazing new Netflix movie coming out. You're working on Mega Man. You've got all these projects in the tank, but you're still, you know, you, you keep yourself accessible um, and you're willing to to give back. And so um, I, that wasn't originally where I was going to go, but I guess, is that something uh, that's that's kind of important to you? Definitely. I mean, I, I think that um, my bad habit isn't like giving people advice. My bad sure. habit is being on Reddit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that... Um, it's funny because now I'm, I'm at this point where Project Power is finally coming out and people have known about the, the, the Batman part of my life for, for a minute now. And yeah. it's all starting to be like, 
oh, you're this person who does these things. And I'm starting to be looked at as like, you're a screenwriter, you're normal. But it, it really only was a couple of minutes ago. It's not like it was an overnight success by, by any means. I've been at this a long, long time. But yeah. it, the, the feeling of, of just total overwhelmness of how do I even start? Like, how do I even get somebody to read a thing? Like, I'm just out here by myself and all I have are the pages I'm writing. Like that being at the very, very bottom of the mountain is still a feeling that's very raw and fresh for me because it was not that long ago. It was, yeah. it was three years, four years ago where it was kind of like every day I was waking up going like, is this happening? Like, am I going to do this? Is this really, should, do I need to go back to New England and just like work at a gas station or, you know, whatever it is? And yeah. so, so because that's so fresh, I think that once you get, not even to a certain point, but once you've been established for a certain number of years, your data is less applicable because you don't know what it's like to be a person trying to make it today. You know what mm -hmm. it was like in the 90s. You know what it was like in the 2000s. For me, I know what it's like in 2020, but I will be less inclined to give sweeping advice 10 years from now because at that point, if I you know have a career 10 years from now, it will be, yeah. you know, I don't know what it's like in 2030 to try to make it like you should ask somebody that that broke more recently. So while I'm here and while I have this point of view that yeah. is actually applicable, I, I just feel like it's it's good to just like try to send the elevator back down. Yeah, no, I, I mean, absolutely. And, and I feel like the advice that you're giving, like it's so honest and true, just as someone who is like, I, I know people who are in the editing uh, space who are screenwriters and just like, you know, sometimes people will give them advice and it's always like, it's like, okay, thanks. That, that wasn't really helpful. But it's like the stuff that you're, act, you're actually getting into the weeds and in the details of what like stuff people want to know, you know, like how do you go into a pitch meeting or like how, like how do you get a project made for Netflix or something like that? So it's like that yeah. and you don't sugarcoat it, which I think is important, you know? It's rough as hell out there. Like, and I have, I have people sometimes that, that ask me like, should, you know, should I move to LA? Like I'm, I'm in Nebraska. Like, should I drop everything and just like fuck up my life and, and come out here? And yeah, I don't want to answer that for them. It's like, that's a deeply personal question. It's like asking like, should I marry this person? It's like, I don't know, dude, like you yeah. <laughs> figure it out for yourself. But yeah. I think that there are things that you can do. And I think that everybody needs to acknowledge how stacked against you the odds are like mm -hmm. it it's just such a brutal industry partially because there there is no set path you could talk to as i'm sure you have hundreds of people and there are going to be commonalities in what yeah. they were doing i think that the biggest commonality is that they were just making stuff they were just doing it anyway but other than that like the people they knew or the random person who saw this thing like it's it's just randomness and that that makes it really really tough to get in yeah for sure well but then there's like um you know there there's there's places like netflix for instance because you i mean project power is coming out on netflix on august 14th i believe and obviously yeah. it's like netflix is willing to take those chances to get these projects made i mean they, they pump out so much content that like if you went into a pitch meeting i i have to imagine that they are more they're just more willing to accept like whatever idea you're kind of bringing to the table. I mean, look, I mean, granted it's Martin Scorsese, but look at how much money they were willing to dump into a film like the Irishman, you know? So totally. I, I guess from your experience, what was it like sort of like, I mean, I know your script was on the blacklist, but what was it sort of like having those discussions with Netflix for project power? I think that the big thing was, you know, when, when the spec went out and, and we, you know, the producers, Brian and Eric, and then directors, Henry and Rel and I went, when we all took the script out and we had done some work on it just, you know, for ourselves. And um, when we presented it to the town, there was a lot of interest, a lot mm -hmm. of different buyers wanted it. And ultimately Netflix was the one that was the most bullish about just saying, we'll make this movie now. Like you can oh, just wow. go do it. You know, everybody else, it's not that they weren't saying that, but they were, you could just tell in their voices, they could, they could see it was something that they thought was a real movie, which is something and something that yeah. could get made. But, you know, for, for every one of these studios, it's like, we're, we're unfortunately in this climate where 
you make really, really small movies or you make really, really big movies. And that middle budget movie, it's, it's starting to come back a little yeah. bit now in a yeah. way that it, it was truly dead in 2017 when I sold oh. this thing. Yeah. But it, Netflix was kind of just not gun shy of like, okay, we think this is a big movie and it's fine that it's not based on a comic book. It's fine that it's not based on a best-selling novel or something like that. We yeah. want that. You know, they wanted to start growing their own franchises. And I think that we, we're seeing them do that across the board right now. And um, oh, yeah. a, a lot of it was just the, the, the luck of, of being there kind of as early as I was. And then the, the rest of it is just trusting that, like, you know, they said, we really want to make this. And then they did. Like, we were shooting 11 months later which is yeah. lightning fast. No, I, I, well, and I'm glad you brought up the mid-budget thing because it is something that's been missing. You know, we, we see like, uh, like Blumhouse is sort of bringing it back, but even, but even they're like lower budget than what a lot of those bit, like mid-budget action films used to be. Um, that's why like a film like Extraction earlier this year was so refreshing, like just to see something like that. And then obviously with, with Project Power, like it, it gave me, I loved watching it because it was such a throwback. It was stylized. It felt like it was based off of an existing graphic novel, you sure. know? So yeah. it's like, I don't know, when you're conceptualizing something like that, uh, are, are you ever thinking in, in, in terms of like, oh, this, you know, if I could write this into a graphic novel if I really wanted to? Yeah, I mean, if, if I hadn't sold the, the script, if, if it had just kind of gone nowhere, like a ton of my projects do, like, it that for sure was something that I thought of, of like oh I can always just make this a comic book and then yeah. if a comic book like gets any amount of heat behind it like turn that around and sell that to the studios like it's always you know studios relationships to IP and you know wanting something that's existing versus the original stuff it it is this strange maze that you kind of have to to go down in development world yeah and, um, you know I I, I just got honestly super lucky with this one that they were just yeah. like okay yep we see it it's a world let's go do it but no for sure like i i still hope that we can do power comic books like I, oh sure i think that would be super rad yeah well i just like a small detail when, when did the the actual name of the project change from power to project power and, and like what was the rationale behind that i'm not sure i'm not i'm not sure you know i, I the second that we sold it it was kind of like yeah. Okay, you can't call this power because there's a TV show and 50 oh, Cent okay. is doing the show. So, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But everybody kind of had to concede, like, it's a great title. It's a great title for that movie. So, you know, everybody has, like, these these lists of, like, alternate titles. And I this list went on for three years. So there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of names. And some of them were really you know, just random words, like, you know, brainstorming titles. And then yeah. others were like trying to do something with the the name power. And so I, I think that I, I'm still having to, to force myself to say project power because through all of development and through shooting, like, you know, I have this, this, uh, the back of my chair from set that, yeah. that says power on it. Like it doesn't say project power. So all the way through shooting, it was, oh, still, wow. it was still power. And so then sometime in post, they were finally like, okay, We'll put project in there too. We're good. Yeah. 50 Cent will be happy. <laughs> yeah, of course. You got to make 50 Cent happy. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I, what's funny to me is that, um, so you're originally from New England, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep, yep. So, but but this is such like, a, it's, New Orleans is like a, a, such a living, breathing part of this film. And yeah. I, to me, it felt super purposeful in the setting. Uh, and, and you added like a, a nice amount of detail to it. Uh, what, what, why, why New Orleans? I guess we the the original script had been written for Portland, Oregon. Okay, and I I wrote for Portland because I've spent time there. I knew that there was like this this certain kind of like fuck the system vibe that now we're fully seeing in the protests that are yeah. happening there, where it's kind of like yeah, like power <laughs> power could happen in in Portland. Um, but you know, we we scouted a whole bunch of cities, and the the directors really love New Orleans, and uh, it just kind of seemed like okay, if we're going to shoot this there, there's a really solid crew base there. Like people make movies in New Orleans often. Uh, rather than fight against that, like let's just fully open ourselves to it. And so it mm -hmm. it was one of those things where Portland in the original script had played a certain kind of role and was a certain kind of city, and then 
once we were deciding to go into a different direction, embrace that. And like, even, you know, for Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, for Frank, yeah. like it became so much of his backstory was being from that city. And, you know, he, he has that, that line that's, um, you know, uh, you know, think about what happened the last time that we let guys in suits decide what happened yeah. to our city. You know, it's yeah. like it, it, there was an intentional drive to not ignore the fact that New Orleans has had a really rough last 20 years. R- rather than fight against New Orleans, rather than than pretend that it's another city or something like that, it yeah. has this history. So just fully embrace that and make that part of the world. And so you know, now, now looking at the finished film and what it is, I'm, I'm really happy that we did that because it's like, it, it feels like that was always the intent. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, you saying Portland is, was really like, I was like, oh, wow, I couldn't think of a more different place than yeah. New Orleans than, than Portland. But, uh, you know, what I did like about it was, um, you're right, you, you played into the, the culture of that city and uh, the, the societal issues that have really plagued that, that, that area. And I feel like you, you did a good job of sort of being topical, you know, even though you wrote this like a couple of years ago before what's, you know, going on right now. Um, and I, I feel like now more than ever, there's, uh, there's a responsibility in projects in, in the cop genre, if you will, to sort of like confront or, or be truthful in its depiction of, of what's going on in the, the criminal justice system in our country. Um, and so going forward, I guess, how, how do you feel screenwriters should handle uh, films in that particular subgenre? It's a tough one to answer because on, on the one hand, reality is reality. And yeah. I think that movies, TV, video games, comic books, like they all feed into this, um, this fantasy that people have. And, you know, it's a, it's, it, it is a part of, I think, gun culture and why guns are such a big thing in this country is because there's a fantasy that comes with that. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm torn about it because... You know, I, I look at a, a Tarantino, look at John Wick, and I'm like, I know this is fantasy. I yeah. know that this is not real, and therefore I want to engage with it in that way where it can just be entertaining for me. Can everybody do that? I think 10 years ago, we would have said, yes, everybody can do that. Now, in this world where, you know, the news is fake, I, I don't know. And so I, I think yeah. that for me, you know, just, just speaking personally, there, there does feel a responsibility to make sure that, you know, if, if there's going to be a certain kind of violence, if there's going to be, uh, you know, wh- whatever it is, cops, whatever, yeah. like that on the one hand, a stylistic choice has been made. You know, you look at Project Power and it's like, this is not real. You know, yeah. it's, got, yeah. it's got all of this crazy stuff in it. And yet it does have to reflect things about our reality. And so... Yeah. I, I, I look at a character like, like, like Frank Shaver, uh, Joe's character. And, you know, I, I, I think that that's kind of what we want cops to be. You know, the fantasy mm-hmm. there is that, you know, th- here's this good guy who, you know, is protecting a city that he was born and raised in and lives in. Like he knows his community. He knows the people around him. Yeah. And he's standing up and trying to do the, the right thing. Now, what I think is interesting about the character specifically is that he goes about that by breaking the law. He goes about that by getting into that whole, you know, cowboy up, like I'm going to take this pill and I'm going to go outside yeah. of the bounds of everything. And I think that that is the fantasy. Uh, so, so, so what I mean going forward, you know, I, I hope if they let us do a sequel that we can talk even more about what policing looks like in a world of power, because I, I think that there's a lot more to drill down on there that yeah. is, um, you know, even more relevant based on yeah, what's that, happening today. Yeah, that, that was actually going to be my, my follow-up to that is like, you know, if you do get a sequel, um, like, is that is that definitely something that you were interested in exploring? I think so. I, you know, there, there's there's so much. Like, the, the, the fun thing about this world is that it, it's not an accident that I chose uh, a vet and a cop as two of the main characters. And then at the heart of it for me is, just this girl, you know, just yeah. this young black girl who's just like trying to make it. Like yeah. those those are, are three very different corners of the world to come crashing in together. And uh, yeah, of course, like I, I think that there's a lot to say about cops. I think there's a lot to say about the military industrial complex 
with this kind of movie. Um, I think there's a lot of thing to say just about, you know, power structures. This movie mm -hmm. certainly does it a lot, yeah. a lot, but you know, I, I think that you could continue that in any number of ways. And I'm, I'm excited at the prospect of direct sequels. I'm also very excited at the prospect of spinoffs and, yeah. you know, being able to just take a different genre and just go, you know, what does a romantic comedy look like? in this world because like well, you could do that it could it, i think it could be awesome i should go pitch that next <laughs> yeah there you go i mean you've already got uh, you've already got netflix on board for everything but you know but that that is interesting because it is such a there there's so much there's so many possibilities in this world and so many different stories you could tell not only in new orleans but you could set it in like chicago you could set it in uh, you know, Boston or something like that. Sort of, uh, yeah. sort of like Watchdogs, for instance, which was like one of the first things that I kind of thought of when I was cool. uh, when I was watching this, and you were kind of setting the stage. I was like, oh, that's that's neat. I like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree that there there were so many different avenues you could go with it. But I guess in terms of just like the concept in general, in, in terms of like the the you know the the power drug, I guess where where did that sort of originate from? It's a great question. You know, when when you're you're writing stuff just comes to you and yeah. you know it it's i i don't think of it as being this wholly original idea you know we've seen stuff like it before i think that the stuff that rocks about it is the specifics you know it's, it's there's there's that phrase that you know every story has been told at this point and i think that's true but it's so much of it is not the what but the how and yeah. so for for me it was kind of like okay sticky idea and it gives you a superpower but like so what like what what else can we do with that and and the two things that seemed so clear number one was just the time crunch just like it's not an hour i think in the original script it was about 15 minutes and then oh, wow. and then when when henry and rail came on they had a really really good note one of their best notes that it changed the whole fabric of of the set pieces which is should just be five now mm -hmm. i look at it i'm like it should just be one like we should really, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, really up, cowboy up the up stakes. Here. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and then the other thing, and this was baked in from the beginning. This is when I really knew I had a movie on my hands. Is that you don't know what you're going to get. You know, the fact that it's not, oh, I can take this pill and I know what it's going to be. But instead, it's like, what is going to happen? Like that. Yeah. That just creates this kind of edge on your seatness where. You don't know if you're going to have a good experience. You don't know if you're going to have a bad experience. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to kill you. Like that to me was like, okay, there's, there's a real concept out here that's, that's worth pursuing. Yeah. That no, the, the, the unpredictability of what the drug would do to you, I think was one of the more um, fascinating things to me. And well, and on that note, how did you determine which characters were going to get like what abilities? Uh, you know, it, it, looking at theme, just look, yeah. you know, look, looking at different thematics, and you know, I, I certainly with 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 Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, you know, that that character evolved through the course yeah. of of the many many drafts. But you know, just just this idea that you know he he has certain weaknesses and he has certain blind spots, and where there there were things in some drafts that didn't didn't quite make it in where. Uh, you know, there had been a backstory that he had been shot at one point. And mm. so prior to taking power, he had really become kind of a shell of himself. And then taking, mm. taking the pill made him strong again. Oh, and okay. so, you know, yeah. it like really like having, having that backstory and I'm, I'm sure that that stuff will, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll play it out in a sequel if I'm, if I'm lucky, but yeah. just this whole thing of, you know, the cop that's afraid to get shot. And then yeah. suddenly it's like, I'm back. And not only am I back, like I'm better than ever. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's looking at the characters through, through that kind of lens. And then also with, with some of the side pieces, just the, the first scene that I wrote was this scene between Jamie Foxx and, and Machine Gun Kelly's character, the, the art and new, you know, flame on sequence. And it, um, it was one of those things where I knew I wanted to do something with somebody who had fire powers. And it, it really informed the the aesthetic of the movie because i just realized like oh if somebody's on fire like the chairs yeah, gonna catch on fire yeah. like the building's gonna catch on fire it's not gonna be like we see in the fantastic four where he just flames on and like everything around him stays clean Ooh. and so there's also just you know coming at it at that point of view of 
what would this look like if it were a little bit more real? Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the, the, the sort of like little human torch homage because I think what this film does uh, so well is it, it really showcases your love of, of comic books and graphic novels yeah. uh, without, without really ever being like super on the nose. Um, so like, I, I, I don't know, I guess it, it's just kind of interesting that like this would sort of be the precursor to some of the other projects that you're working on, like the Batman or Mega Man or, or totally. the, um, you know, the other comic adaptations. I, I guess, what, is it, what does it feel like to sort of have a hand in the... Uh, the creation of, of these, you know, pop culture, like entities that you just grew up with. It's, it's a, a mind fuck. It's, it's, it's yeah. totally <laughs> wild. I mean, it's, it's, a, that, that's, that's the answer. It, um, yeah. You know, it, it comes with a, a, a tremendous amount of responsibility because unlike something like project power where, People don't know what it is yet. They, they see the movie stars and they see the trailer and they go, oh, cool. Like, maybe I'll watch that. Yeah. Um, people know what Batman is. They know what it is. They love it. They have a primal connection to it. It was on their PJs when they were three. I know that <laughs> it was on mine. Yeah. And you want to do right by people. Like, I want to do right by people. And you know, not, not just in, in the DC stuff, but, you know, people love Mega Man. Anytime yeah. I'm on Twitter and I, I post something that's even remotely Mega Man-ish, like, like people show up for it. And I'm like, oh, oh God, there's suddenly a thousand people asking me questions that I can't answer. Yeah. And um, so I don't know, that, that, that's kind of a, a head trip. And I, I think the way to deal with it is to, to remember, like, you know, at the end of the day, what people want is a good story. Like they, yeah. they want to be thrilled. They want to see their characters doing stuff that they expect, but they also want to see these characters doing something new. Like they, they want to be surprised. And yeah, yeah. That's the job. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree because it's like it, it, you always come down whenever you're adapting video games or you're adapting comics or stuff like that. It's, it's a little trickier than your traditional like, like book to movie adaptation because if people want to read a specific story arc, it's literally it's right there with the illustrations and everything for them to go read what you yeah. want to do is like you know pay tribute to that while showing them something they've never seen before and i i have to imagine striking that balance is, is kind of difficult it's a strange one it um i mean at, at at the end of the day it's just kind of like you 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 feel that sense of responsibility you feel that kind of overwhelmedness and then you have to let it go and yeah. instead just treat it like any other story, which is, you know, where do we start? Where do we end? Yeah. Don't be boring. Try to do yeah. right. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I do want to quickly touch on Mega Man. I mean, again, I know yeah. you can't really say anything, but I mean, sure. it's it's great to see that you're, you're working on it and whatnot. Uh, and so, you know, now as someone who's adapting uh, a popular video game character and franchise, you know, in a genre that has largely struggled throughout the entirety of its existence, uh, for you approaching this, how, why do you think that like video game movie adaptations have largely struggled? And you know, what are what is sort of like your mentality as you're scripting this story? I think that with most video games, it's like, or most video game adaptations, I'd rather just play the game. Like, the, mm. like the game is a wholly cinematic experience in and of itself. And so I I, I look at at some of the adaptations and I go it's hard to compete with the experience of playing with the game because it is so cinematic already that I think that, you know, you have to start thinking about what can a movie do that a game can't do. And it's not necessarily more fighting. It's not necessarily more action. It, it, it might actually be more soul. It might actually mm. be more heart. It might be the emotion. And so, you know, it was, was that the approach with, with Mega Man, uh, Sort of. I mean, Henry and Rel had, had, had been on that movie for, for a while. I think it got announced around the same time that they came on to power. So, so yeah. they, they were on it much longer than I was. And, um, you know, they, they had an approach and a way into that world and, and then kind of passed the baton for, to me for a little bit. And, and, and ultimately, that process was just all about, you know, most people know Mega Man as just like this little blue guy that, you know, jumps around and, and has this cool arm. But to get more granular with it and to really, you know, tell a story that would make mm -hmm. people lean in. And I, I think especially with Henry and Rel, like they love the wish fulfillment. I, that's all I can yeah. say. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Well, and I'm, I'm glad that they're sort of the ones tackling it because I think their style so perfectly, uh, you know, aligns with, with that, so you know, cool. with the video game. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's like it's hyper stylized. It's really fast. They have such a brisk energy to, to everything that I've seen from them. So I, I have to imagine that's going to play well with, with Mega Man. They're, they're very into fun. Like yeah. fun is something that they're very, very good at. And uh, I, I, I'm really thankful for it with, with Project Power, honestly, yeah. because, you know, this movie wasn't timed to come out in this zone of life that we're in, but, you know, summer blockbuster season didn't happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the fact that we're now going to come out with this really loud, big, fun action movie, you know, I think that's kind of cool. I think yeah. like I can't wait to see just how people react to it because it's finally like, oh, you know, you, you can still have a summer at the movies. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think it is a film that is going to like it's people are going to go crazy about it. It's going to be one of those those Netflix hits. I, I, I have to so. imagine. Yeah, I hope. Um, so moving over into the Batman a little bit, I, I know you, I, I'm not going to ask you about plot specifics or anything like that. Cause I know you can't talk about that, but I, yeah. I, I do kind of want to talk about your journey to becoming a part of that, your relationship with, with Matt Reeves. How, like, how did that whole thing begin? And then, you know, you wind, you wind up being on, being a co-writer on the Batman. Yeah. Yeah. The, the actual specifics I still can't talk about because there are, yeah. there are spoilers to that story of, of really? how I got in there to begin with. And, wow. um, you know, what, what I, what I can say is that, um, Matt's the greatest, like he, he just, he doesn't miss and he is able to, you know, you look at, let me in, you look at Cloverfield, you look at those, those wonderful, perfect oh. apes movies. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, he is able to, to, to paint these, these personal emotional stories in these places they don't usually belong you know it's it's normally it's like with a with a a big movie it's like okay like we'll have the characters say their thing but like then they have to fight yeah and the fact that he is able to just pull off you know operas in the classic sense of the word you know in this medium like this i i think that it's it's phenomenal and so just being able to be this very small part of the process to 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 be in that room working with him uh i mean it a it taught me so much i i owe so much to that man and i i'm so excited for the movie to come out because i i think yeah. that you know it's gonna just blow everybody's mind yeah i i mean that 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 little whatever second teaser that he dropped alone was just like oh it, it it really told you everything you need to know about the film, um, and and actually I'm not sure if you can say anything, but is there going to be a presence at DC Fandom or not? Uh, I have no idea. That, okay. That's that's above what I'm allowed to. Okay. To, <laughs> to know. Yeah, no, no, that's still. I was actually just more curious than anything. Um, I I kind of want to you know touch on this character just in terms of like you being a fan. Um, because I I read that you were a fan yeah, of yeah, Batman. Cool. Yeah, Batman the animated series and a whole stuff like that. I'm. Batman Beyond is probably my favorite incarnation of that character. Okay. Um, and so I'm just sort of like curious for you, what are some of your favorite uh, episodes of Batman, the animated series? And what was it about that, um, you know, incarnation of the character that really stuck out to you? Yeah. You know, God, episodes. It's, it's, it would be hard for me to answer that because I kind of love them all. Even the yeah. ones that are, you know, kind of derided as being you know, notoriously the, the quote unquote bad ones. Like I've got Batman in my basement. Like <laughs> I, they're, they're all so good. Yeah. And, and you look at them and I, I think that, that for me, what a, it was, it was a big part of my entry into Batman, you know, seeing that show when I was three, four years old, but not only that, it really uh, has carried on with me. You know, I, yeah. I, I can remember the phases of high school kind of rediscovering it with a group of friends and we knew it from our childhood. And so then we'd, you know, all get together in our, in our basements and, and, and watch that show yeah. all night, you know, do a two, two, three day binge of it and uh, doing that again in college and then doing that again <laughs> in grad school and then doing it again while I'm co-writing the movie. Like yeah. it, it is one of those shows that has managed to, to stand the test of time. Um, an appeal to me age three and age 30, which I, I think that that, if anything, is just a, 
a feat in itself. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that what I love about the animated series, which I can, I'll, I'll talk about that for forever. Cause that, that has not as much to do with the movie sure. is, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's Batman, uh, being Batman, doing all the cool stuff that he does, but he also has this empathy to him where, you know, particularly with, with, with some of the characters, you know, uh, there, there's a, this, this baby doll character, uh, who, you know, she, I, I, she's, she's kind of a, uh, I think she's a child actor, but she's not, it turns out she's not a child. She's a grown woman that's like stuck in this, in this little girl's body and she gets violent. And, you know, he, he talks her off the ledge just by like treating her like a human being. And like, you, you see, you see, there's this episode that's I think called, um, it's like Harley's vacation or Harley's day out, something like yeah. that. Oh, with, I think uh, I remember that. Yeah. 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 With Har- Harley Quinn. I, I, I think that she's on parole and things just go bad for Harley you know just stuff doesn't work out and at some point Batman kind of figures that out of like she's not the bad guy in this situation and I I think that those those moments are uh those were impactful to me when when I was a kid those those are those are stuff that I I I really like so that that series just as its own thing like I on the one hand I wish they would bring it back I wish that they would do you know five more seasons I, I'm, I'm loving the animated Harley Quinn show that's out it's right phenomenal. now I, yeah I it's phenomenal it's, it's an A plus um and at the same time I hope that they don't touch it and just kind of let it live in the 90s it's so strange because it's like I I agree with you I would love to re- see a revival I mean hell I'd love to see a revival of Batman Beyond uh, or something yeah. like that too, uh, because because it's just the it's the perfect epilogue to that to that show. Um, but I agree, there is something just about that time period. It, it like without overtly capturing it, it, it's like it's such a snapshot of that era. And I don't know if they could ever do it the same way. You know, if they brought it back nowadays, even if they got Kevin Conroy or Mark Hamill or, or the rest of the voice cast, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. No, for sure. Um, so I do want to kind of uh, just a couple more questions here before we Sweet. start to close out. Close out. Um, I know you are a big Fincher fan, and I think you. It was somewhere I found an interview where you were talking about Zodiac being one of uh, the best mo- movies made in in the past ten years or something like that. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm just thrilled that someone loves Zodiac as much as me because I don't think that that film, it does not get the credit that it deserves. It's a perfect it's, movie. And, and I think in that quote, you said something very interesting, which is it's a true crime documentary without being, without like the, the literal documentary. And I, I think that's why it's so good, you know? Yeah. yeah, his attention to detail and just, you know, what 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 he and, and James Vanderbilt did of just going through the police records and really you know you look at look at in zodiac you know they they only are showing crime scenes from scenes where there were witnesses when somebody was yeah. left alive or somebody saw it so they 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 don't speculate they don't go into well everybody here is dead so let's just make it up and i i think that the amount of rigor and discipline that that takes to have that kind of be the and and they don't play that up enough i don't think that's something that people really connect the dots on but once you realize that you go oh wait a minute this is really a rigorous test and it's it's also i think it's a real thing that happened and it's it's you know people's lives are affected by you know there Mm -hmm. are family members that are still alive and i and i think that it's it's kind of the most respectful way to make a piece of entertainment but also do so in a way so that a family member could go and watch that movie and not just feel like you know fucking hollywood yeah (laughs) i agree with you it is it is so it is so honest and respectful and tasteful uh but it still it still scratches that true crime itch for for people who want to know more and it's I, i i love I love the way it ends. It just sort of just like, well, here's all the information. It just ends, you know? And it's, it's like, amazing that's, that that's it's amazing. I know. That's how life is. And yeah. the fact that he was like, no, guys, you know, we're not going to conclude this because it hasn't been concluded. So instead, it has yeah. to kind of be this, on the one hand, emotional, and on the other hand, very unemotional, dull thud. 
And yeah. like, that's how you drop the mic after almost three hours. Like, I know. Incredible. I, know. I think the thing that kind of like blows my mind is like he, he crit Fincher criticizes him, himself for making that film and releasing it into theaters. And that's basically what led to the creation of Mindhunter. And I'm like, yeah. no, I, I applaud you for creating that. And if it led to Mindhunter even better, but like, even yeah. if Mindhunter didn't exist, we still have this beautiful, you know, piece of cinema that I, I just hope people continue to discover. Yeah. It's um, so good. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, final question for you. We like to do a thing on this podcast called uh, Film Essentials, which is basically just like the essential film someone should watch if they want to kind of under better understand your mentality while creating your most recent work, which is Project Powers. So for you, what would you say uh, are the essential movies someone should watch uh, after they've seen Project Power? Yes, yeah, super, super great question. I love this. Um, definitely 8 Mile. Definitely oh, okay. uh, Collateral. Definitely oh, in, Training yeah. Day. Definitely Leon the Professional. Um, definitely the first 17 minutes and 53 seconds of the first X-Men movie. <laughs> Only the first 17 minutes. That's I don't know good. if that's actually the, the timestamp, but I, I, there's, there's something about the opening of that movie. All, like once Scott and, 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 and Storm show up, and like the 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 fighting yeah. starts it 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 very much leaves our reality and and goes into like still a, a fun movie but yeah. there's something about the first few minutes of the, you know for the the that that magneto intro in auschwitz and then yeah. this scene with this girl in her bedroom just like trying to kiss a guy and then just like the cronenbergian horror of that that doesn't i think if you did that scene today they would overdo it. But yeah, it yeah. has this restraint to it where you're kind of like, that could happen. Like that could yeah. just that like the way it looks could happen. And then I mean the the Wolverine intro and just, you know, hit like that that low shot of him in the cage puffing on a cigar and you can't see his face. Like it's 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 just the stuff of dreams and nightmares. And just you know <laughs> I, I I think that, that that moment where the claws come out for the very first time, you know, as as nine about to turn 10 years old. I was a week from turning 10 when that movie came out and it just, it blew my little mind. And there was always something about the first few minutes of it that was like, wait, what was that? Mo like, can we, can we just stay there? Like, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't even need the other stuff just in this 17 minutes where it feels so real and yeah. so earned. And so that, that's why I, I offer kind of the first act of the first X-Men you should watch. Yeah, well, on on top of that, it's like the the 20th anniversary or something of that, right? I believe. Yes, not yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, it's got. Yeah, for sure. Well, I get. I know. I said that was the final question, but what would you say is sort of the legacy of that movie? Like, other than just being sort of like the one to break through the mold for superhero films, um, what do you kind of take away from that film in particular? I mean, you you kind of said it. It was you know. Uh, the really the only big thing that predates X-Men and, and it's, it's worth giving a shout out is, is Blade, you know, yeah. Blade kind of did it first in, in this era. And then X-Men really reinforced this idea that like, you know, I was a comic book kid, obviously. And now we think of it and it's like Avengers movies can make a billion dollars. I don't think that you could necessarily say that in 1999, like, yeah. It, it it's not a given and so I, I think that a big part of the legacy of both blade and x-men is you know hey like we're here we like th these are valid stories that people want to see and and then also i i, I think that that movie the the first the first two of those x-men movies you know they they do have some good things to say about about diversity about accepting who you are you know like they, they're they're maybe not ahead of their time maybe they were just of their time but it's also like when you when you look at the books that that lee and ditko were doing and kind of like that's the metaphor like that's the point guys and the yeah. fact that the movie didn't shy away from that stuff at a time when they could have like i think that's rad yeah, no, for sure. Uh, listen, Matt I could talk to you all day about all this stuff, all this geeky content and I whatnot. I love the playlist. Let me, yeah. let me tell you that, that you know, listening, I, I listen to this podcast and uh, oh, I, I, I hop on the playlist uh, literally every day since, since, uh, since 2009 is about then. So I'm, I'm, I'm oh, super wow. psyched to be here. Well, listen, I, it's it's a real privilege that, to have you on. Like I said, uh, I, I can't wait to talk to you again. You know, maybe 
whenever the Batman comes out or something like yeah, that. I'd love to pick yeah. your brain on that. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm I'm so curious about that story. If you say it's like integral to the 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 plot of the film, that's just that that. No, so that's the thing. So now yeah, I'm going to yeah. walk it back a second. It's it is full of spoilers, but life spoilers, not necessarily oh, okay. Batman spoilers. Oh, okay. All right. All right. To be well, continued. Of course. You'll yes. See. You'll <laughs> see. Of course. I look forward to hearing that story uh, of one of these days. But yeah, listen, man. Thank you so much. I can't. I, I can't thank you enough for your time. And and honestly, best of me. yeah. Of course. But best of luck with Project Power. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Had a really fun time with it. Thank you. Thank you. It, it's it's wild that it's coming out. I hope people love it. Well, there you have it, guys. That was my conversation with Matson Tomlin. Absolutely loved it. Great guy. Can't wait to talk to him again sometime. Maybe when the Batman comes out, who knows? But I, it was so funny just hearing him talk about the fact that the story of how he, you know, got attached to to working on the Batman is partly a spoiler. I mean, that just that got me way more intrigued. But anyways, Project Power hits Netflix this Friday, August fourteenth. It's a fun film. It's a great escape great uh, superhero blockbuster type film. The kind of movie that honestly would have been fun to see in the theaters, but it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's some great commentary in there, great performances, and I think the thing that I took away from it was Tomlin knows how to build a world, and I, I hope that the movie gets a sequel, so definitely check it out. I can't recommend it enough on August 14th uh, on Netflix, but guys... I want to hear from you all. I want to know what your favorite real-world original superhero film is. I'm talking movies like Push, uh, Chronicle, and I guess Project Power would be one of those. They don't come around too much, but when they do, they're honestly some of the most enjoyable movies to watch. So I want to know what your favorite one of those is down in the comment section of wherever you are listening to this episode. Be sure as always to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network for more episodes of The Fourth Wall along with the rest for amazing uh, show catalog over there. Seriously, whatever your fix is, we definitely have you covered. And then if you want to take that extra step and really make us all happy here at The Playlist, it would be amazing if you left a rating and a review because it greatly helps out the show. Let's us all know what you're loving and what you want to see more of. I currently do not have a guest lined up for the next episode, but whenever that comes around, I'll be sure to let you all know. And you're definitely going to want to stay subscribed to this feed so you don't miss it. So until then, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like me specifically and you like what I have to say, you can always follow me on Twitter at Griff Schiller. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of The Fourth Wall, and I will catch you next time. Take care.